Exodus 12 and 13 this morning. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbour shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some blood, some of the blood, and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood... I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statue forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but whatever, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all, of, all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. 
You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt. When he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. For the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewellery and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favour in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let them have what they asked. And thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Rameses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt, and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is brought for money shall eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then... He may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did, just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. I'm Emily, and I'm going to be doing Exodus 13. The Lord said to Moses, Set apart for me the first boy born in every family. The oldest son of every Israelite mother belongs to me. 
Every male animal born first to its mother also belongs to me. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day. It's the day you came out of Egypt. That's the land where you were slaves. The Lord used his mighty hand to bring you out of Egypt. Don't eat anything with yeast in it. You are leaving today. It's the month of Aviv. The Lord will bring you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites. He promised your people of long ago that he would give that land to you. It's a land that has plenty of milk and honey. When you get there, celebrate this holy day in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast. On the seventh day, hold a feast to honour the Lord. Eat bread with, made without yeast during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it, in it should be found among you. No yeast should be seen anywhere inside your borders. On that day, talk to your child. Say, I'm doing this because of what the Lord did for me when I was out of Egypt. When you celebrate this holy day, it will be like a mark on your hand. It will be like a reminder on your forehead. This law of the Lord must be on your lips. The Lord used his mighty hand to bring you out of Egypt. Obey this law at the appointed time year after year. The law will bring you into the land of Canaan. He will give it to you just as he promised he would. He gave his word to you and your people of long ago. After you arrive in the land, give to the Lord the oldest son of every mother. Every male animal born first to its mother among your livestock belongs to the Lord. By sacrificing a lamb, buy back every male donkey born first to its mother. But if you don't buy the donkey back, break its neck. Buy back every oldest son. In days to come, your child will ask you, What does this mean? Say to them, The Lord used his mighty hand to bring us out of Egypt. That's the land where we were slaves. Pharaoh was stubborn. He refused to let us go. So the Lord killed every oldest son in Egypt. He also killed all those born first among the people and the animals. That's why I sacrifice to the Lord every male animal born first. And that's why I buy back each of my oldest sons for the Lord. This holy day will be like a mark on your hand. It will be like a sign on your forehead. It will remind you that the Lord used his mighty hand to bring us out of Egypt. Pharaoh let the people go. His, the shortest road came from Goshen to Canaan, went through the Philistine country, but God didn't lead them that way. God said, if they have to go into battle, they might change their minds. They might return to Egypt. So God led the people towards the Red Sea by taking them on a road to, through the desert. The Israelites were ready for battle when they went up out of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph along with him. Joseph had made the Israelites give their word to do this. He had said, God will surely come to help you. When he does, you must carry my bones up from this place with you. The people left Succoth. They camped at Itham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud. It guided them on their way. At night, he led them with a pillar of fire. It gave them light, so they could travel by day or at night. The pillar of cloud didn't leave its place in front of the people during the day, 
and the pillar of fire didn't leave its place at night. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Em. It's a big read, isn't it? So out of curiosity, how many of you actually read the passage before you come to church on Sunday? Some? It's not like shame and thing. It's okay. Uh, How many of you struggle to read the Bible during the week? All of us, right? We all struggle. So one of the reasons why we do that sometimes um, is to pause, to listen, and praying that the Holy Spirit is already speaking and drawing your hearts to what God has to say through his word. Well, here we are. Uh, We're back in Exodus. And if you're visiting, welcome. Uh, My name is Shabir. I'm one of the pastors here. Whether if you're someone who is seeking who Jesus is, whether someone you're a follower of Christ, uh, maybe you're somewhere in between, we pray, if not already, you've been hearing that we come to worship Jesus Christ, our great King and Lord. Uh, We started this series in the book of Exodus uh, a little while back, and we've been walking through. And this morning, we're continuing that. And this morning we come to, uh, some would argue it is the center point of Exodus. Uh, Others argue that this is the very center point of the Old Testament. It's a significant thing. And actually, even to this day, uh, Jewish people still celebrate the things that we just read about. Actually, uh, Jewish historians and theologians would say that this is the birth of a nation that you are seeing. It shapes all of who they are. This morning, my prayer is, or the question I want to ask to consider is, who will you remember? Who will you remember? How will you remember? Would you join with me in prayer as we um, dive into it? Lord Jesus, you are the Lamb of God. Would you overwhelm us with a view of who you are as we look at this passage? You know every single soul and heart this morning. You know the things that we're wrestling with, the things that we are joyous about, the things that have robbed our joy this week, the things that might feel even overwhelming. Father in heaven, overwhelm us. Holy Spirit, change our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If most of you are planners, uh, and um, how many of you are planners? Just raise your hand. Wow, okay, I'll be talking to you later. Um, If you're a planner and you have calendars and things, my guess is you probably don't have in your calendar some sort of festival or feast uh, as a reminder that shapes everything who you are as either as a family unit or even the very culture that we live in. We may have things like, particularly if you're a Christian, uh, Easter and Christmas, right? You have Christmas meals and Easter and things. These are very important uh, meals. But meals that that reshape everything, that it it shapes who you are, both as an individual, as a family, or even as a nation. The closest thing might be that beer and pie that you have at the footy uh, that signifies that we're Australians. Some of you have just said, he just said beer. We'll talk about that later. Friends, right here, what we're seeing is this is the very moment, as I said earlier and even to this day, that Jewish historians would argue that this is the very birth of a nation that you're seeing. 
I mean, they've gone into Egypt as a handful, and now we're seeing this birth of a nation, and this very meal and the very details that you saw in these two chapters actually will set this nation apart. They've set this nation apart from the nations around them. To, to the very festival that they speak of is symbolic but significant and tools to remind them to remind them what God has done, to remind them of who God is, and to remind them of who they are. Last week we finished uh, sort of the plague section of Exodus, and we come to the moment where God said there's one more plague coming. And this plague would be spoken of for generations to come, a plague that would remind every single Jewish person of who they are, who God is and what he's done. In chapter 12, you have the Lord starting in great detail of this language called the Passover. Um, but it's a meal. I don't know if you saw the amount of things about blood and things. It's a fairly costly meal. Verse 14 describes it as a memorial day. Another way to put it is it's a remembrance day. It's for uh, the Jewish nation at that time to say, as you have this meal together as a family, as you work out every single detail that has been instructed to you by the Lord, you're reliving that very moment as you escaped out of Egypt. It's not just for the sake of it. I don't know if you picked up the, the, the sense of it. It's actually an act of worship. And it's something that the generations would continue to speak of. Yes, it would become tradition, and it would become a significant practice, but it's there to remind them. It's an active reminder. It's a live way, live way of reliving what God has done, who they are, and it's a significant thing. Now, I know this, uh, for those of us who are already jumping, I'm guessing, into the New Testament, hang on, we'll get there, right? But we want you to understand, there's this sort of feels a bit distant I think the, the, the moment that's probably most significant in Australian culture in particular is not too far away, Anzac Day. And you know, if you watch Anzac Day, and particularly if you watch the footy, if you go to that moment where the last post is played, and it's like the whole nation is silent, listening and remembering. Now, for us, this seems distant, but this moment, unlike the plagues, is significant for, sorry, like the plagues, is significant for the people of Israel. I mean, unlike the plagues earlier, you have in verses 1 to 28, we're shown that there's actually an active responsibility that the people of Israel have. Earlier, if you remember, God spared them, right? But in this, there's an active responsibility that they have. And there's actually a cost for both nations, the cost that we speak of in a minute for the Egyptians, but also there's a cost for the nation of Israel. It's at the cost of something else that they would be spared the impact of death. Someone else's life had to be taken. This is what they were called to remember. This is what would set them apart. This is the nation that would use this as a meal of remembrance over and over again and a reminder of a substitute who had to come in. 
In the Hebrew calendar, it's not similar to uh, like ours, but the Hebrew calendar most likely would have been around March, April. This particular meal, it's known as the Passover meal. It's in your test. The very life of an animal would cause the Lord to pass over. It's, I know I'm just kind of pushing it, but that's the language here. You can just imagine one lamb per household. Not just any lamb, but a lamb that has quite specific, it's without blemish, it has to be whole, no defect, even like some sort of mark on it, no diseases. It has to be a male. It has to be a year old, either a sheep or a goat. Now, this is the interesting thing. They have to keep it and care for it, to protect it, to make sure nothing happens to it. I know it's very different for us. How many of you have lambs running around in your backyard? Anyone? No one. So imagine for a moment, you know, family, mum and dad bring this little lamb over, they're looking after it, and the kids are playing around with it. What's going to happen to this lamb, mum and dad will tell you. We're going to kill, kill it for you to remind us of God and what he has done. It sounds very strange to us, but these are object lessons, God's very creative way to point to towards something that is to come. It's a meal to remind the Israelites that they too have suffered in Egypt and it goes into quite detail. You've got the blood on the doorposts. You've got the, the meat that's eaten. It's roasted. It's char-grilled. I mean, not just not like us who might just eat the legs or the, 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 the lamb chop. This is the brains, the eyes. How many of you eaten lamb eyes? Anyone? One person. Great. Um, so it's everything is eaten. There's this picture of unleavened bread. And you've got bitter herbs. They eat everything. Uh, there's nothing left. And if there's something left, they have to burn it. And even the very picture, if you can imagine, right? Back in the day, they've got their belt fast and their sandals on their feet. Staff in one hand. These are live lessons and reminders for many generations to come. Post-Exodus, when they arrive in the promised land, what God has done and who he is, what he has done, what they've been rescued from, and ultimately to remember the Lord. Things like bitter herbs are to remind them of the bitter life caused by their slavery and the Egyptian rulers. The unleavened bread. Now, most of you, particularly during lockdown, were perfecting your sourdough. How many of you were doing that? Right? Everyone got into it. Most of the Western world. The idea of unleavened bread, once again, no yeast. The idea there's no room or time for it to rise. These are pictures of things leaving quickly from a place. And this is why you have this picture of someone, if you can just imagine sitting there with their belt fastened and and their staff in one hand and they're quickly eating their meal because they're about to leave very quickly. See, it's a reminder for them that God is providing a rescue, but also it's a reminder of two things. One, how quickly God's wrath comes and how quickly God's salvation comes. Friends, The idea of sacrifice um, and something being sacrificed for the Lord is nothing new in the Bible. It's not all of a sudden it arrived in Exodus. If you remember the story of the Bible, it began in Genesis, where the first humans rebelled against God and His loving authority. And what happened? God had to cover their nakedness. Something had to die. 
You have Abel, who also brings a sacrifice. It's the firstborn animal. That's the sacrifice that God accepted. You have God who provides for Abraham, just about as he's about to kill his only son. And here, this picture again of death and sacrifice of the lamb is it's to spare them. I mean, this whole picture now is to say this visual picture for you guys is to show that God has passed over you and this thing, this practice will continue for the rest of Israel's history even till today actually. But it's a reminder that there needs to be a substitute. That there is a cost to freedom from slavery. That sin requires death. And you need a substitute. Apart from the meal of the Passover, there's another one that's instituted. This would most likely occur following the week of the Passover. And you can see the details in verses 14 to 20. And it's like an instruction manual. I want you to imagine for a moment uh, the kids and families being reminded and doing this for generations to come. It was to point to this moment in Israel's history and it had to be taken seriously. It's not like, oh yeah, whatever, we'll just sort of do a little bit of this. No, to to the minute detail, they had to do it. And that's why you have that statement of leaven. Leaven was a a, a picture of sin, particularly in this context. It's to say, you get it out of the house, you don't have it. And not only that, it now points to any other people as well, that they too were kept away from this meal. It impacted both the foreigners that were living among the Israelites. These instructions are there over and over again to do one thing, to remind them of who God is, who they are, what he has done. And also, there's actually a cost to following him. The instructions are given, the details are given. Moses then gives these instructions. But as you read verses 21 to 28 of chapter 12, I want you to understand this is not just instructions. There's a tone behind it. And there's a warning behind it. So it reminds them that when they come to that promised land, which is wonderful because they haven't arrived yet, and God's already saying, I've already given you that land, it's going to happen, you will continue this tradition. But I want you to notice a couple of things. In chapter 12, verses 24 to 27, have a look with me here. You shall observe this right as a statute. So that's talking about a law. You must follow this command for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land, the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, you shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he passed over the house of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our house and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. What a beautiful, wonderful, powerful scene. There's two words in there. One, there's the statue, you've got to follow it. There's a command, sorry, there's three words. And then, not only that, you shall keep his service. And the kids will ask, what do you mean by this service? Moses is saying, this is a reminder, but you've got to remember, who were they already serving in Egypt? They were serving Pharaoh. They were slaves to Pharaoh. That word, serving, is the same word for slave. They were slaving for Pharaoh. 
On one hand, they are being given a rescue by God and his strong hand. If you saw that, I would encourage you to circle that word of strong hand will come throughout Exodus, throughout the Old Testament. And it's not as of now they've been rescued. They can go do whatever they want. They can live as they please. Now, as a people who have been rescued, this freedom means they are now also serving their true king. Another way to put it in biblical terms, they are now a slave to the great I am. This is a way that you should live now. This is the standard of living. This is what it means to be a follower of mine, to belong to me as my people. So one king provides more and more work and suffering. The great I am provides a being of being spared from his judgment and wrath through the blood of a lamb, but also now to be remembered as a meal, to be followed and acted on as obedience to him, to remind them of who God is, what he has done, and who they are as his people. They are God's people. They belong to him. Friends, I want you to know that following God, and in this context here, freedom does come at a cost. God provides for his people. He covers the cost. He actually brings in a substitute. He institutes both through the reminder of the bread and the blood of the animal that he alone is the Lord, that he is the great I am, and he's reminding them what it means to belong to him, to be his people. They bow down and worship this great God. That's the same thing that they had in the first time Then they went through this challenging time. They didn't want to worship, and now they respond in worship. And that very posture is a picture and live picture and saying, we belong to Yahweh, the creator of the universe. As you move through Exodus 12, you have verses 29, 32. And friends, I want you to know this should cause you to be in shock. What we're seeing is an unfiltered picture of God's judgment on all the firstborn of Egypt. I don't know if you saw the words in there. No one is spared. In the story of Exodus, at the start, the Lord hears the cry of his people. But now you have the cry of a nation. It is a picture of when a group particularly Pharaoh, who did not listen and is the wages of their sin, means death. Uh, Friends, if you're new to the Christian faith or exploring, and maybe you are a Christian already, these kind of passages, for those of us who have been Christians for a while, we like to kind of skim over some things. This might be one of those. Please don't. This actually happened, and it's meant to confront you and me, even today. It is to show us what the rejection of the God of the universe means. It means death. It means judgment. It means that firstborn actually could have been you or me. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life, the Apostle Paul would later write. See, death is the consequence and effects of our sin. We all deserve death. And the reality is, you know, I all will face death one day, but we are also spiritually dead. Just as God executes judgment, 
God alone is the one who can bring true freedom and salvation. And you know what? It will cost everything. I don't know about you, myself, often I'm so tempted to make God this nice cuddly bear. We've got to be careful that we don't domesticate the creator of the universe. His wrath and anger should stir something in us. We don't shape it to suit our preferences. And for those of us who may smile at the Egyptians, friends, please be careful. It should stir something in you. Lord, have mercy. It would have been unimaginable. But it's a picture of knowing that we should all realize it's something that we all deserve in that God's holy, righteous judgment for the rejection of him. That means death physically and spiritually. We are all dead in our sin. And right in the midst of this wrath of God, the mix of it, you're seeing the grace of God. The Passover lamb, the unleavened bread, are pictures of this. Reminders to a nation that knows there's nothing they could have done to rescue themselves. That God himself had to provide for them. And you have this statement by Pharaoh, he says, Up, go, out. These are words to literally say, get out of here. I want you guys out of here. This is, I'm done with this. And he even cries out, please do a sacrifice for me out in the desert like you said you will. It's like saying, please cover me somehow. Please bless me. And later on, you will see what's really going on in Pharaoh's life. The whole nation wants them out. And there's no time for the Israelites. And God already said, prepare yourself. You haven't got much time. As soon as it happens, get out of there. And you have this picture of a nation plundering. It's really war language, actually. It's war going on in that a nation who did nothing, they're plundering and leaving a nation with all the spoils of war. But it's what God says he will show favor. He's the one who provides the freedom. He's the one who provides this very plunder. And he's displaying who he said he is, that he is, I am who I am, the great I am. I want you to imagine, I know we read this for, and we forget, right? What a moment. 430 years of life in Egypt. 430 years. And in one quick sweep, freedom has come. At a cost. And for generations to come, they would actually physically act this out of a night of remembrance of what God has rescued them from and how he's rescued them and the cost it's come, but not only that, who they are as a people. God has provided a means of escaping his wrath. And all of this is to remember him. It's a real picture of what freedom means, but it's a picture of what salvation means. In that, salvation is quick and instant. It's gracious. Salvation comes quickly. You may be enslaved in many sin and rejection of God for many years. And death and God's judgment will come even quickly. But there's in a sense, we're all waiting. And this picture then is given again of this picture of waiting that salvation comes quickly. This idea of you've got to watch out, wait for God's salvation, it's going to come. It's a hint of what is to come. It's pointing forward, waiting for true salvation. Salvation from sin. 
And as chapter 12 closes, it's as though you feel, if you read chapter 13, I, I don't know about you, you might be tempted to jump over chapter 13. Oh yeah, it's not really, it's a little bit repeating. No, there's a reason for it. Have you noticed that? It includes everyone. There's, there's this invitation for people to share. You've got every man, you've got every woman, every child, but there's an exclusivity to it. Did you pick that up? Some were excluded. I want you to know God is an exclusive God. And in relation to the Passover coming, he's bluntly saying, guess what? Some will be kept away from this table. Who are the ones who are eligible? Now, there's a reason for this. If you read in 1238, you see that there's a variety of people left. Not so they weren't all the Jewish people. They were others. There were ethnic backgrounds coming in. So there's like a, we need to keep them away from this table because this is now a covenant meal. It's all this kind of biblical language coming in. The idea is to say, when you have this meal, you're saying that you belong to me. It's not open to everyone. You have me as your Lord God. So it's exclusive. It's not for outsiders. They don't believe in the God of the Bible. If they don't believe in the God of Israel, they cannot partake in this. Ah, but there's a way. There is an invitation to partake, the sign of circumcision. Throughout the Bible, you see this. It's to identify that they belong to God. They identify themselves with the people of Israel. There's God's plan in this. Now, friends, I understand the idea that God is exclusive is very countercultural in a world that says, doesn't matter. I had, um, Beck and I had some friends over for dinner and they don't know Jesus yet. And one of the things that I was talking to this guy and he said to me, he's had some sort of Christian background and he was telling me a little bit about his story. And one of the comments he said to me was just this ideal that typified what, what I keep on hearing is that, well, it's pretty much all the same anyway. We all land in the same spot. Friends, I want you to know that's not the God of the Bible. He, he makes it very clear there's only one way for salvation. You don't set the terms. I don't set the terms. There's only one who can say that. It is God, the creator of the universe. He sets the term. And this idea of this Passover and uh, having his Passover from his wrath, he's inviting others to come and eat. But on his terms, he sets the agenda. But not only that, he's the one who provides it. And it's this beautiful picture of grace. I love going to my friends' places who are from Middle Eastern background because it is a family affair. Or if you've gone to a Greek household, it's a family affair. Um, if you may imagine for a moment all of the families eating, cooking, tasting and remembering the story of God's rescue, remembering who they are and who they belong to. It may seem really far for us and distant, but what we're seeing is God fulfilling his promises, that God is the one who sets the terms for freedom and rescue. God is the one who will provide the means as well. And you see that again in chapter 13. God commands Moses to set apart the firstborn. He's basically repeating himself, but he's saying this is what's going to happen. When you get to the promised land, make sure you continue this tradition to remind yourself of who God is, what he has done, and who you are. To remind you that the firstborns of Egypt died 
And now I want you to set aside the first one. They're spared. And how are they spared? Only by blood, by spilling of blood. God takes claim to the firstborns. And particularly in that culture and tradition, the firstborn was the one who uh, represented the whole family, particularly the males. And so God is saying, set them apart. The whole family now belongs to me. And this is what you have, this very word of saying, set them apart, set about the firstborn. It's like saying, pass them over to the Lord. It's the same word going on here. In this moment, it's like saying, yes, for them to be spared, some will be spared from death. The only way is through this way, but some will not be spared from death. You have a whole group of animals being killed. There's this picture of substitute again. And then you have this weird statement about donkeys. Did you see that? Kind of go, okay. Something God doesn't like donkeys for some reason. I love how one commentator put it, because I agree with him. By setting certain things apart as holy to the Lord, the Israelites learned that they too were set apart for God's service. But here in Exodus 13, God places his people in the same category as donkeys. They showed them they were sinners. Donkeys are unclean, in need of salvation. They need redemption. Otherwise, the donkeys too were destined to perish. And so you continue this sort of symbolism and language, and then you have this mark and a sign. All these details are here to remind them over and again. It's a picture of parents sitting with their kids, reminding them of stories of what God has done in the moment of slaughtering our animals, explaining what this means, setting all of this aside to know that they are the ones who are rescued by God, they belong to God, they're God's people, and now they're called to live in a particular way that includes the meal that they're having. These things are signs and reminders for generations to come. To remember who God is, to remember who they are, to remember what he has done over and over again. And as they leave, the presence of the Lord meets them. Just as the presence of the Lord met in the bush, God chose to lead them in a pillar of cloud and a fire at night. This is the very presence of God leading the people. It's a reminder of who God is, that he's powerful and majestic and mighty, but also God is the protector. And he is the one who will judge their enemies. God sends his judgment and wrath, and he uses a meal to remind them of this. That their freedom has come at a cost. And he uses this whole festival meal to remind them that the Lord himself provides the means and ways of salvation and rescue. And he provides this festival meal to remind them of God's Passover. The Lord provides. The Lord sets the scene. The Lord is the one who has done it. It's a reminder of him. I want you to imagine for many years, stories are being told. For many years, lots of blood is being spilt to remind them of what God has done, but also to show them there is a requirement for God to judge sin. Death is required. So in this culture, for many centuries, they either live in fear, and over time you'll see throughout the Old Testament, sometimes they don't care. Because they know that there is a stronger, greater rescue needed. 
what began as a meal of God's rescue from slavery and then in submission to him, to remind them of who they are in him, it's something that they would actually break time and time again as a people. So what it means is it cries out for a better sacrifice. It cries out for God to provide again. A few years back, about four years ago, I had the great joy to go to New York and uh, do some training there. At this church training, I met uh, Ellie. Uh, Ellie's a good friend of mine. Ellie's a church planter in Tel Aviv in Israel. So I reached out to him this week and said, Hey, Ellie, do you mind just letting me know what's going on in Israel as Passover comes? And so he did a little video for us. It goes for about five minutes. It's up here on the screen. Hi, great to be with you again, Ali Burmau, coming to you from Tel Aviv. Um, Shabu asked me to share a little bit about what's happening today in Jewish homes um, as we remember Passover. So, actually, Passover is one of the holidays that everyone celebrates, no matter what, no matter what your religious status is, no matter how secular you are. Um, Passover is something that you're going to spend time with your family, you're going to have a big meal. Now, um, Passover starts just like it did back in Exodus, as with a big meal. Um, as the same night as the angel of the Lord appeared, the people of Israel were instructed to take that Passover lamb um, and to eat it whole and to put the blood on the doorposts of their house. Um, so today we have that same meal, but uh, interesting enough, uh, lamb usually isn't served on Passover. We'll have chicken or any some other kind of meat or fish. Um, but not lamb, because lamb isn't as common. And the reason why, though, is actually the lambs that were sacrificed at that time were the lambs that were sacrificed against in the temple. Um, you know, when Jesus said in, in Luke, when he says, let's go and prepare the Passover, what he means is to eat the Passover lamb that was sacrificed um, in the temple. But the temple has been destroyed in 70 AD. And since that time, we don't have sacrifices, so we don't eat lamb. But we still remember that meal. Uh, we'll put out together a big uh, spread of food. Now, before we eat this time, we'll have a service, a banquet. Uh, and as the head of the household, each head of the household will lead his family through a traditional Passover seder. Um, which is seder, uh, the seder means order because it follows a very specific order. And we have four cups that we drink that evening. Um, each of them have a different significant significance. Um, and we have a plate with different foods, and each of these foods will give us part of the story of Passover. And so we'll retell the story of Passover um, in a manner that's fun, that involves the children. It can be long or short. It depends on how many times you sing the songs, how many times you go over the Psalms and the reading of the scripture. We'll read about a little bit of what the rabbis said about Passover. And every year it's commanded that if you know the story of Passover, you need to tell it to your generations again and again. Um, and so we'll recount the bitterness of slavery, uh, the promise of redemption. Uh, we'll have a, a... The only thing that represents the lamb actually on Passover is a shank bone of the lamb. And uh, that reminds us of the temple sacrifices that are no longer offered. And that's how we'll go through the Passover. And... Uh, if you come here on Passover Eve, which this um, year will come out on Saturday evening, uh, the roads are silent because everyone's in their houses. Uh, this, so this is you'll celebrate in your home, 
Um, everyone is in their houses going through the Haggadah, going through the story. And, and it's quite amazing that um, we recount that Passover uh, tradition. The tradition that we currently use, some people say, is close to 2,000 years old. So it would be very similar to the same Passover that Jesus was eating uh, before his death. Um, and that's why he takes four cups. And, and he takes the third cup, the cup of redemption, after dinner. And that's the cup where he brings uh, the Lord's uh, Supper. And he says, do this in remembrance of me, because that was the cup of redemption. Um, and that's a very interesting point, because also what he'll be doing at that time is he'll be taking the matzah, the bread. And he'll take it from a three-layered pouch. Um, and he'll take the middle one that's, that we call the afikoman, that which comes later. And that's, bar- that's um, broken before, the, before dinner. And we bury it. And then only after we eat our big meal, we, re- we continue to the ceremony, to the banquet, and we'll take that piece that has been broken, buried, and comes back, and we'll eat it together with the third cup, the cup of redemption. The same cup, our Messiah Jesus said, this cup is, it, do this in remembrance of me. Um, so there's some folklore. No one knows if that's really what it comes from, but very early on, um, there were followers of, of Yeshua, followers of Jesus, who said that the Afikoman, that which comes later, represents the Messiah Jesus that will come later. So, anyways, short story. Hope you connect to it a little bit. Uh, and uh, we'll be celebrating this week, Passover. It'll be a fun time. Families will be gathered together. Great meal. But we'll also remember the bitter rest of slavery and celebrate the freedom that God brought through Moses. But more importantly, followers of Jesus can remember the true Passover lamb, the Messiah Jesus, the greater and better Passover lamb, who doesn't need to be sacrificed year after year, but redeemed us from bondage and slavery to sin. And we can enjoy the new life in the promised land for all that follow the Passover lamb. Um, friends, as uh, Ellie was sharing, um, it's a reminder that God himself had to provide. It's a reminder that God had to provide his firstborn that he set himself apart, Jesus Christ, the one whom the John the Baptist in John 1 would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ as the firstborn Lamb, as Ellie was saying, would go to that Passover meal. In Luke 22 he says, and he says, He took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of who me Luke 22 he continues and says likewise the cup after they had eaten saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood this meal that they were reminded of over and over and saying now Jesus says remember me the one who is the lamb of God the bread the wine reminding us of his blood that was spilled Jesus becomes our substitute He was willing to become the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, and he became sin on that cross on your behalf and mine. His blood was spilled for you and for me. The wrath of a holy God, his Father was poured out on his Son. And on that cross, Jesus becomes our sacrificial lamb. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He's the one who's provided freedom for sin and death. And it means, though, when we put our faith in him, it will cost us our lives. 
We're called to put our trust in Jesus. It's much more than a ticket to heaven. It's a statement to say that when we put our trust and faith in Jesus, we're showing our allegiance to him, our services to him. We become his slave. And this is why the Apostle Paul would later write in Romans 6, for example, where we are called no longer to be slaves of sin, but slaves of righteousness. We are no longer our own. Freedom came at a cost, paid by our Saviour. We are His. Unlike the masters of this world and unlike sin itself, our King is ever gracious and beautiful and merciful. Unlike the people of old who were led by a cloud and a fire, we have the Holy Spirit who comes and lives in us when we put our trust in Him. The one who empowers us to follow Christ the one who convicts us of our sin when we drop the ball, the one who reminds us of the grace that we have been given. There is a day coming, friends. Jesus will return. His judgment will be very quick. The fullness of our salvation will be even more realized and what the day will be. The Apostle John would write this in Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written with on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a what? A lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand in him, seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, all four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to your God and they shall reign on the earth and I looked and heard around the throne and living creatures and the elders and voice of angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands saying in a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and in the earth and all them saying to him who sits on the throne, the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Friends, if you have your communion elements this morning, I would invite you to take that today. The bread is a remembrance of who? Of Jesus. The one who gave his body and sacrifice himself on the cross for you and me. If you know him and declare him as Lord, please eat and remember him.
the juice or the cup that you have is a reminder of the blood that was shed on your behalf and mine. Jesus, our Saviour, drink in remembrance of him. So friends, as you head into this week, in what ways are you remembering Jesus and his sacrifice? Uh, Parents, as you sit with your kids, grandparents, uncles and aunties, uh, nieces and nephews, if you believe in Jesus, how, in what way are you reminding them of the great rescue through Christ? What rhythms and practices are you and I incorporating? Do you, even though you believe in and trust in Christ, do you see yourself as a slave to Christ? Or do you just see someone who has got your ticket to heaven, now you're just waiting for that day? You belong to him. He's a great saviour. When the accuser stands and accuses you, what you can say to him in response is, I am covered by the blood of Jesus. That's all you have. The Lord passed over us and our sin because of Christ. May we live in life knowing that he is coming back again. The risen lamb is risen and he will return. Until that day, may we be faithful to worship him alone.